I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Seifu. And we're starting recording a little bit, a couple of minutes later than we thought we would because we just got into quite a, a deep dive off air about George Foreman having five sons and naming all of them George Foreman. George Foreman the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. And his explanation <laughs> is that he wanted to make sure they would all have something in common. So that's what we've been talking about for the past 10 minutes. And now that we're on air, we can move on to something infinitely less exciting, which is the New York Islanders. Uh, they were on an 0-8-3 stretch. And as soon as we started watching them, they beat the Sens. 5-3 win. They were 2-1 and one this week. Uh, and despite that, I still got a perfect sense for how and why this season has gone so wrong for them. And I, that's partly to do with the low quality of competition. Um, but yeah, the Islanders were a shell of the selves that, well, not this, the shell of the team that we had come to know over the past two seasons that made it all the way to the conference finals. It seemed like so much was missing. And, you know, the arena situation, the fact that they were in COVID protocol, and I think a fair number of them had COVID, is probably, are probably the two main reasons why. Oh, you're, you're, you're putting the, the arena thing out there as one of the reasons why? Um, oh, well, specifically I've... the fact that they started the year with 13 games on the road and they were going all oh. around the country. Right, of course. Um, yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why they struggled out the gate. Um, but yeah, this team just, uh, even now that now that they're playing at UBS, how many times, it, what was it, they, they won their eighth game or something? Um, and after losing their first seven, so clearly uh, getting adjusted to the UBS arena, or yeah, that's what it's called, right? Um, it was a bit of a process, um, but no, I don't think it was. The team just doesn't look good at all, and I absolutely I agree. Even though they won two out of three, uh, they flipped the narrative, so to speak, in that sense, out of in having a winning week. But yeah, I mean, you, you're beating the teams like the Sens and the Devils, and uh, you know that, that it wasn't very convincing at all, frankly. I mean, if we want to start with the Sens game. Um, I mean, look, they, 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 they looked like, I wouldn't even, like, it was pretty borderline as to whether they looked like the better team. I mean, like, it looked like they generated like almost all of their chances off the rush. They couldn't really get any, too much sustained possession. And at the end of the day, you know, I look at the, what, why did the, why did the Isles win? I thought it was really just like, you know, the Sens really fucking suck. And also Philip Gustafson's like, he's a bad goalie. He's not an NHL goalie. Um, but other than that, you know, against the Sens team that, uh, has been as bad as it was this year. It was. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't look uh, particularly dominating from the Islanders. Yeah, and of course, there's the fact that the greatest defenseman in the world, Ryan Pulak, has been injured for the New York Islanders, so that certainly can't help. Uh, but I, it, uh, it occurred to me that the Islanders, even in their successful recent years, were never a very good regular season team to begin with. Last year, they finished fourth in their division, the last playoff spot, and, you know, they turned it on in the playoffs as they tend to do. I think they were even, like, on a losing streak heading into the playoffs, and Barry Treats, Barry Trotz, Barry Treats, Barry Trotz was like, oh, yeah, whatever, we're fine. And then they were, and then they destroyed the Penguins. Well, that was mostly Tristan Jari second, but they beat the Penguins. They beat uh, whatever team they played next and almost beat the Lightning. They made it to Game 7 uh, two years in a row. Um, but, yeah, the regular season has not been their strong suit, and, you know, it has to be you know, much stronger than it has been, obviously, to get into the playoffs. But if we're going to look at, like, a couple bright spots in that Islander Sands game, it was the two of the players who scored. One of them was Anders Lee, two goals. I was kind of, you know, impressed because I'd been hearing, like, oh, you know, he's, I think he was injured to start the year or he was injured for most of, like, the end of last year. And he looked like his best self in that game, at least. And Oliver Wallstrom had a very pretty goal. I was, um, I've been a fan of that player since his draft year. And what I remember him from 
was uh did you ever see that viral video of the nine-year-old at intermission at a boston bruins game do like like a lacrosse goal but it wasn't from behind the net it was like in the shootout like Corey perry would do with the all-star game like lift the puck up on his stick and like twist it around and score i learned uh in his draft that that was actually oliver wallstrom when he was nine (laughs) that's fun but yeah, no, Oliver Wallstrom, definitely one of their most skilled players. Uh, was it in this game where he, he had that nice cross-ice pass on the rush that ended up in a goal? I don't remember exactly which one it was. Uh, but yeah, he's not getting enough ice time, though. And that, that's a bit of a head-scratcher uh, when it comes to Barry Trotz, his deployment of uh, Wallstrom in particular, who's really been one of their better forwards. Um, well, he's getting like 10 minutes a night. I think he's averaging 13 over the course of the season. This this week, he had a game where he had nine minutes. And like, you know, yeah, sure, he's, he's young and, you know, maybe his defensive game needs work uh, as the Islanders, uh, you know, they make a big priority out of that. But at the end of the day, this team um, really has the same problem that's always had, which uh, is a lack of scoring. And Wallstrom brings that offensive spark uh, where like, you know, a lot of the roster, I mean, you look at the parts where uh, we've criticized in the past and have kind of defied expectations in terms of uh, their ability on the ice compared to what we think of them on paper. Uh, Players like, you know, the Islanders bottom six, especially that fourth line, um, but they're really, really, they, they've been really struggling this year. They haven't been producing whatsoever. And so, you know, to compensate for such players uh, and their offensive, you know, dark void that they create, you should be absolutely putting a premium on guys like Washroom and setting up, you know, dudes like Barzal, who hasn't had a particularly good season this year so far, uh, and setting them up to succeed as much as possible. Because otherwise, really, this team is, uh, is has it's a really hard time scoring. Yeah, I think that cross-ice pass you were talking about was the opening goal in the Nashville game, which was their 4-3 loss. Uh, it was a nice feed, Walsham, to, to Austin Zarnick. My memory, I think of this every time I think of Austin Zarnick, because he, had like, at a certain point a couple years ago, had barely played in the NHL with the Bruins at all, like only a couple games. But randomly, uh, he was a UFA, and a bunch of teams were like, we want Austin Zarnick. And for some reason, there was a high demand for him, so he ended up signing, like, over a million dollars with the Flames. But anyway... Uh, that Islanders-Preds game, the Islanders only lost this week, but it gave me such a clear picture of why the Islanders have been so bad this year and why they're so different from last year's Isles. Because, you know, they've had the this Barry Trotz, um, what's, what's the word, reputation for, you know, your, your defensive team, no one can get by you. Adam Pellick shut down Sidney Crosby and all that. They'll clamp you down, shut you down late in the game or whatever. They had a 3-2 lead. In the third period, you give the Islanders of last year's playoff or the playoff before that a 3-2 lead against any team in the NHL with 10 minutes left in the third period. The other team has no hope of coming back, basically. Then all of a sudden, you know, Nashville, Tanner Janot drives to the net. Uh, he got stopped and Yakov Trenin scores the rebound without too much of a challenge in his way. And then, uh, how, how much was there left for that Nashville go-ahead goal? It was like 12 seconds left, ridiculously late in the game. Uh, Noah Dobson has a, a weak clear from behind the net that goes right to Johansson, back to Roman Yossi, goal, just like that. And I can't imagine, or how at least we have talked about Barry Trotz recently, that his teams, no matter which defensemen are deployed, or forwards as well for that matter, would would be this week defensively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they can't find a way to clamp down uh, in the defensive zone anymore. I, th- I thought a, a big point that I saw across all three games um, was that they generate a lot of scoring chances off the rush. Obviously, that's what they've done for a few years. Um, but, you know, it looks like they, they've they lost their ability to kind of clamp down on incoming rushes. Um, and we know like players like Pelic are particularly good at, at shutting down, you know, opposing rush zone entries. Um, but it seems like outside of him, 
you know, you, you see teams coming in and getting odd man rushes left and right and enter, entering the zone pretty easily. Uh, and that's what led to a lot of the goals that they led in this week. Uh, and yeah, you, you talk about Dawson's play. I mean, that's the kind of, that's the kind of like lazy clear up the boards that we don't expect from, you know, an, a Barry Trotz coach team. Uh, it was lazy and it was, you know, that completely lacks all situational awareness. Uh, yeah, they scored with like 11 and a half seconds left. Uh, all you had to do was kind of kill time if you wanted to get to overtime. Uh, they were kind of, you know, he was stuck behind his own net a bit. So, you know, at that point, uh, you just kind of eat it and you try to just get to push it to overtime. And that's not what he did. It was a lazy flip. And uh, it ends up in the back of the net and they don't get a single point out of that game where, yeah, they were winning late in the third period. So, uh yeah, it really you you do see the effect. You really do see the difference, uh, and yeah, it makes you wonder what it is. I have a hypothesis. I think it might just be that the team's fucking old, um, and that they're they're they're. I think they took a step back in terms of the speed of the team. They were never the fastest team, um, but it seems that with every year, you know, like Josh Bailey, I thought this week was like invisible. I saw nothing out of Josh Bailey really, uh, and you know that it's just guys getting older are going to fall off and and Lou hasn't really done much to replace them getting guys like you know fucking Zdeno Chara out in here onto the ice uh it doesn't you know the the team doesn't hasn't seen a year over year improvement in on in the uh on paper talent which we've been talking about for years yeah so i'm trying to th- what are if any notable differences between last year's islanders roster in the playoffs and this year's besides like Ryan Pulak is injured Travis Zajac is gone because I think on paper the team looks pretty much the same and I find it hard to believe that just you know Brock Nelson, Kyle Palmieri, Josh Bailey turning either you know 31 to 32 or 29 to 30 which I know is you know you're at the end of your prime but I don't think just those couple months of aging should make this much of a difference in the on-ice impact Uh, so I, I don't necessarily buy that that much that that's you know the big reason why right that's fair um but then the question remains like what is the big difference then i mean you talk about it's the same personnel um it's really the I would same say COVID. i think that's honestly fair to you say think it's covid yeah i yeah I, I still think it's hard to to understate the toll that that can have yeah that's fair i think how many cases did they have um just on the team was it like six i'm not sure exactly so. but but they yeah, had no, uh, a couple uh, of games postponed. Right. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, that, that if you were speaking of COVID real quick, uh, we just saw Calgary get their games postponed for the week. Uh, we don't know what kind of effect that'll have on them. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple points there. I mean, a, the Olympics look uh, less and less likely by the day, but uh, I mean, with the cases, it's kind of exploding everywhere. Uh, I think it's fair to wonder, you know, with the effect that it has on teams, but also from a public health perspective, you know, I don't know if we're going to get through this whole 82-game season. I don't know. I, I hope not. But I think it's fair to wonder at this point because, you know, the, the dominoes are kind of starting to fall pretty quickly. Yeah. And when you call the Islanders an old team, just looking at, like, the the specific ages, you are you're, you're so correct. That's so true. Chara, 44 years old. Andy Green, 39. Zach Parise, 37. Cal Clutterbuck, 34. Uh, you know, a bunch of players around that, like, 28 to 32. And then, like, a couple young players, like, you know, Dobson and Wallstrom and Barzal still pretty youngish and Beauvillier as well. So uh, that is definitely a problem on this team. Lou Lemerle, I noticed, like, yeah, it's, it sure is, you know, still funny to, to see Chara not in a Bruins uniform. Oh, yeah, and Zach Parise as well. And it occurred to me that those two players, I feel like, are extremely representative of, like, the 2012 All-Stars. 
that's 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 a fair observation absolutely um 2012 vibes from the both of them um so yeah no i just i think really it i think you can put a lot of it on Lou, just the, his inability to kind of like tinker with the roster properly um i mean we talked about the effect you know barry trotz has had and hiring him was you know the greatest move he's ever made um uh, because otherwise the roster kind of sucks and i think i think that's really what we're kind of starting to see i mean the the system's you know, best in the league and all. But at a certain point, you need the players to run it. Uh, and yeah, it, it just feels like, you know, these old puff fuckers, you know, it just doesn't work anymore. You know, it just kind of feels like it, it ran its ground, especially with the fact that, yeah, it, you have some complicating factors like the COVID and, the you know, being on the road for the first whatever, like big fraction of the season. Um, that'll take its toll on older players in particular, I think, you know, all the traveling. And so, you know, that all comes together. And I think that's maybe what explains why uh, they've looked like shit out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Matthew Barzal for a bit, too, because after that 2018 summer when John Tavares left, uh, Barry Trotz and Lou came in, uh, the makeup of the Islanders roster was really all right. Any and all offense is probably going to have to run through Matthew Barzal, but it's OK because he just won the Calder Trophy and he scored like 85 points. And he has not gotten close to that production level since then. Uh, it makes some sense that, A, you know, sometimes a rookie will have a great year and then opposing teams figure them out and the player can never really get up to that same level of production. And the fact that, you know, Tavares and Barzal, you, you would assume that most of the tough matchups are going against Tavares and now all of the energy of the from the opposition is going to shutting down Matthew Barzal. But he was especially bad to start this year. I pulled up his game log earlier. I think he had like four points in all of October, four points in all of November. Um, in December, though, he started to pick up the pace quite a bit. I think he's on a bit of a point streak now, actually. He, he has like nine points in the month of December and only six games, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but I still found, um, despite the fact in the national game, I noticed him. He had a really nice primary assist on a power play goal, I think that he had been like pretty quiet for the most part. And that's obviously an area of, of concern for the Islanders as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I don't think they've, you know, the Islanders have done their best in terms of surrounding him with uh, a successful environment. A, with just like, you know, his supporting cast, first of all, has, you know, he's never really been with great line mates, uh, you know, especially with losing Eberle, uh to the Kraken this year. It doesn't really feel oh, like yeah. they replaced him properly. So, like, you know, that and, you know, Anders Lee is fine. Uh, but, you know, that and the fact that he can't get any sort of secondary support because, you know, you guys got guys like Matt Martin playing significant minutes. Um, and I think, you know, it's just they haven't put him in a great environment to succeed when you're leaning on the one guy to create all the offense. You're right. Teams can kind of focus in and the defensive game plan can kind of be try to limit Everly, uh, not Everly, but uh, Barzal as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, a point on the this national game, not exactly related to the Islanders. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, when Yakov Trenin scored that tying goal, 3-3, do you remember him like celebrating and jumping into the boards at all? Uh, I don't remember. I remember a Nashville celebration where I could hear kind of <laughs> them screaming on the mic. Uh, I, I think so. Right, I'm not sure if that was this one. But this celebration was so cringe. It was so, you know what it was? It was go reminiscent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pull it up. The Nashville tie-in goal by Yakov Trenin in the third period. It was reminiscent of a nine-year-old or something who would score a goal and be like, time to jump into the boards to, to mimic my idols 
uh, despite the fact that I must totally go out of my way to do so. It was like it was like Trent is like when I score, I jump into the boards, and he was just like totally flat footed and was like, all right, time to you know skate like two feet to the boards and hop into them. It was extremely <laughs> awkward. I just watched it. That's 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 so fucking lame. <laughs> 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 Lift his yeah, head. Because looks like <laughs> looks like someone's like he has his controllers. Jumping into the boards can usually be like a cool celebration, but you need to be like scoring while you're in stride and have a bunch of skating momentum heading towards the boards you can jump into. And then it's like, damn, that was pretty badass. But Jakob Trenin was like barely moving at the time of the goal and was extremely (laughs) close to the boards to begin with. It was just, man, it it fell very flat. Yeah, it works if you're if you just scored off of a breakaway, you know, uh, and it's a good vibe. Uh, but nah, no, he just like lifts his head. It looks like it looks like someone's like you know playing NHL whatever on the Wii or on the Xbox, and like they hit the button for that <laughs> celebration, <laughs> and the boards <laughs> just exactly. happen to be there. <laughs> it looks it looks so wrong, and uh, yeah, cr- cringe is exactly the word for it. I recommend any of the listeners to uh, check out that clip. Just look at look up uh, Preds Islanders highlights, and uh, you'll you'll just you'll you'll see it right after the goal. Mm-hmm. Perhaps never again will you do such a thing to look up Preds Islanders highlights. But anyway, <laughs> last Islanders game of the week. Uh, here are my first two notes for a four-two win over New Jersey Devils. Beauvillier healthy scratch. Who the fuck is Akira Schmid? <laughs> <laughs> right i that was another one where i was like <laughs> i've never heard of this fucking goalie what the hell um with the, you know i i feel like you know with a name like akira schmidt we don't see many akiras out in the nhl so i feel like i but I would have remembered that but uh yeah i didn't do any background research into him afterwards either so i'm still very much in the dark uh, you might have been the, the uh, e-bug i i wouldn't have known he was not the e-bug actually i have heard the name before uh, so I was perhaps a little hyperbolic to say who the fuck is Akira Schmid because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be. he was on, he was on the Swiss world junior team, um, which is where I knew the name from. He's 21 years old. Looking at it right now, fifth round pick of the devils in 2018. Uh, and he was born in Bern, Switzerland, six foot four. Uh, and he was on the Swiss world junior team in 2019. He played, uh, three games. And had an 878 save percentage. And then he was on the team again in 2020. He played another... Wait a second. This is confusing. I'm getting like... Oh, I get it. Uh, Excuse me for a moment. Cap Friendly, this page, uh, powered by Elite Prospects, has a separate category for Switzerland under 20 all in the league, International Junior, and Switzerland under 20 World Junior Championship. So it looks like he was actually only on the World Juniors one time in 2019 and played those three games. So so that's the extent of my Akira Schmidt knowledge. And that game we watched him uh, lose to the Islanders was his NHL debut. Uh, and I guess it did not go as well as he would have hoped for, for. But wow, it actually looks like he's tearing it up in the AHL this year. In 10 games, he has a 944 save percentage and a 160 goals against average. So maybe this is a name to keep an eye on. Akira Schmidt. Crazy. Maybe the uh, devil's goalie of the future out of fucking nowhere um but yeah i didn't think he looked great i thought sorokin also on the other end kind of letting the couple of devil's goals look kind of soft uh off the rush you know there was one that went through his five hole the first one and the second one was just kind of a shot from pretty far out i thought um so uh 
yeah, the goaltending there. I think how's the goaltending been this year for the Islanders? I haven't I haven't really kept track. I know like Sorokin's played a bunch. Varlamov was injured to start off the year, um, but I yeah, haven't really Varlamov, seen their numbers. Varlamov since he's returned has been absolutely terrible. I don't think he's won a game. I think Sorokin's been okay, not quite what they were hoping for, but I think he's he's been kind of hot and cold. Uh, why don't I look up? Okay, so actually, oh, actually, well, Sorokin does have a nine twenty five this year, which is quite nice. Um, but I think if you or if either one of us looked at the game log, you'd see he had like a couple of duds in there. Uh, Varlamov though, in seven games this year since returning from injury, is an eight forty four. I'm oh, sorry, eight eighty four. And I don't think I was actually just looking at this because whoever had him in our fantasy league put him on waivers, and I was like, oh, let me go check that out. <laughs> and I I don't think he won any of those seven games, so not such a hot <laughs> commodity at the moment. Yeah, no, I'd I'd say so. Um, but yeah, even even Sorokin, he didn't look too too sharp there. I thought a couple of softies against uh, the fucking Devils. Um, but yeah, the other point that you wanted to touch on was uh, Beauvillier was scratched, which was uh, certainly an interesting move um, because yeah, he's one of their more promising young forwards who can actually generate offense. And uh, apparently, Barry Trotz had not seen enough good from him recently. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, whenever it comes to scratching these young players, I'm always kind of wary of it uh and uh i think the same applies here for beauvillier i think honestly i have more of a problem with things like oh oliver wallstrom isn't playing enough rather than oh this particular player who you know he's 24 still you know kind of young um to be like yeah you haven't been so good the past week or so sit in the press box for a game take a night off and watch and then come back a little rejuvenated. I think that a lot of times will tend to work rather than just being like stick you on the fourth line and only grind for seven minutes. I find that's much more detrimental to a player's development and self-esteem than telling them to take a night off. Right. Yeah. Um, Remains to be seen though, in terms of, uh, you know, how he gets integrated back into the hole after being scratched. I mean, uh, when's their next game? I think it's, I think it's tomorrow. Um, yeah, if, if it has, that's the thing, right? If it's a pattern of behavior uh, in terms of, like, as with Wallstrom, um, you know, setting, not giving enough minutes, playing him on the third line, stuff like that, uh, then it becomes problematic. And, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if he's playing poorly, sit him one game, that's one thing. Um, but if you, you know, sit him and then put him on the fourth line when he comes back in, that is a, that is a whole different thing. And that's the thing that you should not be doing when you're, you know, you got a forward core like the Islanders do. Mm-hmm. Now, a funny thing I noticed about this Devils game is that two of the New York Islanders' goals against the Devils were scored by former Devils captains, Zach Parise and Andy Green, both got in on the action. Uh, you know, two of two of Lou's favorites. I thought that was funny. But honestly, most of my notes about this game are about the Devils, which I'm just now noticing. Uh, like, wow, Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes, they're pretty good. Stuff like that. Nice. Um... So yeah, that's maybe we'll have a Devils week soon to see how uh, Jack Hughes is doing with his contract. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was. I mean, I thought the Islanders were, were they were de- they were like the better team in this one. I thought it was the best game of the week. Um, even though they beat the Sens by more, I thought this one was. Uh, well, then again, it's it's low hanging fruit. It's the it's still the Devils out here. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention this. I saw on Twitter. I think someone took a screenshot of a Facebook post. I I might have been a joke, I'm not sure, but it was something like, Hey, I I bought tickets for the Islanders game tonight. Where is it? I went to Barclays, I went to Nassau, I can't find it anywhere. 
<laughs> was it a was it like a real Facebook post? Like someone's out here. I didn't, I didn't look closely <laughs> enough to if someone had just totally fabricated it. But I mean, it's Facebook. I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Right. Exactly. The the, the standards are lower um, out on Facebook. So who knows? So <laughs> can imagine that's a pretty stupid concept out here checking out arenas. Where is they? Where are they? Where they put the team? Where's the home game? I got the tickets right here. Uh, so. You know, hopefully, hopefully they found the game at the end. They got the end of it. Yeah, well, wouldn't want anyway, to miss Akira Schmid. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to miss Akira Schmid's NHL debut. Must see TV. Exactly. All right, that's Big it event. on the New York Islanders. Uh, I would say we probably won't miss them too terribly. And now let's no. talk about news that broke, like right after we stopped recording, eight days ago, which is that the Jim Benning era has finally come to an end. We regret to inform you. No more dunking on Jimbo. Though, perhaps dunking on the Canucks will not uh, will not be over. Because, of course, they've hired Jim Rutherford. But Mr. Booth put together a little tribute video for Jim <laughs> Benning. Uh, with that... Who, what's that song that's like, uh, In the End It's Right by like Coldplay or something? I don't know. It was to uh, one of those like emotions. Time of Your Life by like, uh, Green that's Day the or one. some shit like that? Yeah, Green Day, yeah. not Coldplay. I always mix them up. They rhyme. Anyway... Uh, it was you know going through all the hits, Jim Benning's hits. He starts yes. off by drafting Jake Vertan in sixth overall. You Levy's in there. <laughs> that Brandon Sutter quote comparing him to Patrice Bergeron is in there. The Jared McCann trade, Beagle Roussel signing, Tyler Myers signing. The list goes on and on and on and on. You could compile a book about all of Jim Benning's terrible moves because there were so many. Uh, the OEL trade, of course, in there as well. Uh, just so much to laugh at looking back on this Jim Benning era in Vancouver. Uh, and it's over now, sad to say. Jim Rutherford, though, was hired a couple days later as president of Hockey Ops and interim GM. And I'm kind of glad that we are talking about that today because Jim Rutherford actually spoke to the media this morning and said that he doesn't regret signing Jack Johnson in Pittsburgh, despite the fact that that he literally bought out that contract like two years into it. He was like, Oh, he did a lot of good things for the room or whatever. Oh, if he was, if it was so good for the room, then why'd you buy him out? Uh, so although Jim Rutherford is, couldn't possibly be any worse at this than Jim Benning was. I don't think this is necessarily the savior that Canucks fans were hoping for. Yeah. I was going to actually bring up the identical quote with Jack shots. And I thought it was the funniest shit um, that, and he also followed it up with, he also doesn't regret trading for Eric Goodbranson. Um, so, you know, he's, you know, he's still got his mental faculties intact. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> you saw, you really saw the, so yeah, like, first of all, yeah, back to our, our last podcast episode, the, the bit on, uh, you know, was a Travis Green getting fired when Bruce Brujo getting hired. It aged out very quickly because, you know, we're talking about, Oh, is Jim Benning going to, you know, get another coach. The answer was no, he was not. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I will, I look at this with, uh, with a bit of sadness because, uh, you know, he brings us so much joy, so much hilarity, so much comedy, so much clownery, uh, from Vancouver that Jim Benning does. It's like every week, every other week, you know, we had something to talk about, something to laugh about. And it's a real shame that, you know, it won't be front page news. Now, hopefully he can get himself, you know, a general manager position in the future. I wouldn't count on it because it's Jim Benning and uh, his interpersonal skills are uh, not the best to put it nicely. Um, but 
I, I do hope so because you know he's just such a great talking point. He's just he's just so good as a GM. Not objectively, of course, um, but from a neutral fan perspective, he brings all the joy. Uh, but yeah, and then and then they hired Boudreaux. He's been really good. Well, I mean, like I don't know if it's just like you know what's it called the the dead cat bounce uh, after hiring a new coach or firing the old one. They're four and zero now. Um, but yeah, they announced Boudreaux. Everybody in the Canucks fandom was happy, and then that lasted for like twenty four hours until they announced they they hired Jr. Um, and then everybody just kind of got a bit sad was the vibe that I got from Twitter. And, uh, yeah, apparently it wasn't a very thorough search. I don't know how many guys they interviewed, but I can't imagine it was too many. I, apparently they actually st- started talking to this, to Rutherford before they hired Boudreaux. So I don't know how thorough Aquilini was on this one. Uh, and so I can't, you know, I can't compliment him on the extensive search, um, uh, because, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it really seemed like a very, uh, you know, not too much of it. Not not a very mindful hire, mind you. Uh, hiring, you know, fucking Jim Rutherford of all people. So yeah, that's Jim Rutherford, and hopefully he brings us half as much comedy as Jim Benning did, um, because uh, that would already be more than enough. Yeah, on a France, Francesco Aquilini sounds like he did his due diligence on like three candidates, if that. Like, remember when Calgary was looking for a coach and they were like, "We want Bill Peters. That's our guy. We're not even thinking about anyone else. We're gonna go at Bill Peters," and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> Um, and I feel like that mindset is so much more pervasive than we think. Like when, when David Boyle wanted to hire a coach for Nashville and he was like, Oh, you know, I was like, I've talked to John Hines before let's hire him and only talk to no one else. And what Francis Esquaclini's probably thinking is like, Oh yeah, Jim Rutherford won two Stanley cups in Pittsburgh. So if he comes here, he'll win two Stanley cups with us. It makes perfect sense. Uh, I guarantee you that's the that's the logical track he's following. Uh, did you see the? Right. You must have the Aquilini tweet uh, from a couple nights ago. Yeah. Gotta love media in Vancouver. Two weeks ago, <laughs> what's wrong with Aquilini? Why isn't he cleaning house? Can't he see it's a disaster? Why is he so slow to act? Two weeks later, why is he moving so fast? <laughs> why is he cleaning house? Can't he see it's a bad look? Kind of funny actually. And all the replies, of course, of course, are like, "Mr. Booth, is that you?" Even though clearly this is the actual Aquilini account, but here's the thing: Mr. Booth's pretend Aquilini tweets are way much more believable to be Aquilini than the actual Aquilini tweets. If Mr. Booth tweeted this pretending to be Aquilini, everyone would be like, "Okay, dude, you're kind of you're losing your touch here a little bit. That clearly isn't real, but it is real. It's actually him." And we actually, as soon as we stopped recording last week, we went down a bit of a rabbit hole. You and I, that Jack Maxwell account, which is apparently uh, an actual Eugene Melnick burner this reads if we were like if this came out of a burner account like an aquilini burner or something to this effect we'd be like oh that can't actually be the real aquilini burner like that's way too on the nose but it is it's yeah, him who, from his own account who actually who actually tweets that stupid is the real question that's why it's so unbelievable now yeah i think i texted you after i saw that one like it's because i i when mr Booth does do the imitation thing i'm always one to fall prey for it like I, I'll, I'll fall for that shit for like 30 seconds ah, you before like i'll read the replies yeah i'm a fool but the one time i read the tweet i'm like this doesn't seem too real and i look i actually looked at the username this time and it's actually fucking friend it's not mr booth i didn't get booth um so uh <laughs> you know yeah it's just he's, he's an idiot and you know an idiot who tweets like that i don't trust him to hire you know the most competent of people and you're just you're just hiring yourself into a corner i mean you know obviously you know john hines is not a good coach uh and you know he wasn't in nashville and clearly bill peters 
was not a good person out in Calgary. So, uh, and I don't expect that Jim Rutherford will bring, you know, great things to Vancouver. I don't think he's going to turn around the franchise with his great roster general manager moves. So, you know, I, you know, when you, when you kind of limit your search like this, you're only, you know, setting yourself up for failure. Like what's, are you just too fucking lazy to interview more candidates? I'm so confused. Like, you know, it probably looked at three of them. One of them was probably Bergevin. They asked him, he was like, I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm going to take a little break. And then, you know, they're like, all right, who's the next guy? Jim Rutherford. All right, I'm done. I don't feel like looking up it anymore. I don't feel like interviewing any more uh, people, any more candidates. And that's the vibe you get, right? Like it just, it really doesn't feel like an extensive search. Like, you know, when you compare with Montreal, they seem to kind of be doing it pretty well so far. I saw a report today that they're, they're doing an extensive search. They're, you know, they, they're even interviewing some women. So good for them for expanding it in that sense. Uh, and that's, that's at least a positive vibe compared to, all right, let's just, you know, hire the old hockey man on the block, uh, who's like, you know, shown his incompetence before and doesn't exhibit any sort of, you know, growth from it, not regretting the Jack Johnson signing the Eric Branson trade. Uh, it's like, how do you run an organization like this? I'm so fucking confused. Like you're just setting yourself up for failure. There's no downside to interviewing more people. I don't know how they get so much tunnel vision. I'm, I, I'm going to say again, uh, I'm almost certain goes on in their mind is why do we need to look at anyone else besides the guy who just won a couple Stanley Cups? It's impossible that anyone's better than him because he just won Stanley Cups. So we'll hire him. That's got to be it. Crazy. Insane. Anyway, um, you know who else uh, was fired is Alain Vigneault and ah. Michel Terry, his assistant coach with the Flyers. Uh, it's about time Alain Vigneault has had a reputation as a good coach for a while, but in hindsight, it seems like that was largely due to first, uh, the Sedins and Roberto Luongo. And then by, uh, Henrik Lundqvist. And as I think was mentioned on like the puck suit podcast, as soon as he doesn't have a future hall of fame goalie to work with things, all of a sudden get kind of bleak. Um, because the flyers were, they've had, they are the most, uh, middling hockey team that there is. Uh, I've mentioned a couple times that they've been alternating going in one year, out one year of the playoffs, dating all the way back to 2012. Uh, it looks like that streak is actually going to end this year because they are not in very good shape to make the playoffs, sadly. Uh, just like they didn't make it last year, despite the fact Carter Hart's actually doing well this year. I look at the Flyers roster. I go, yeah, it couldn't possibly get any more average. Sean Couturier is great. He's, de- he's not a superstar. There's some decent talent. Your second line looks like a mess second line. Your third line looks like a mess second line. Uh, I, Ivan Provorov's okay, I guess. Ryan Ellis is injured. Ristolainen sucks. And everyone's performing a little bit below their capabilities. Uh, and Alan Vigneault is not at all getting the best out of them. And there's the fact, do you remember in the in the bubble when um, during, like after George Floyd had recently been killed and there were, you know, a lot. there was a lot of discourse around, oh, should we kneel for the national anthem, things like that. And Alan Vigneault came out and said, like, to be honest, I'm not thinking about the outside world at all. I'm just thinking about beating the New York Islanders or whatever. And everyone was like, wow, that's a pretty shitty thing to say. Vigneault's kind of soured on me since then. And it looks like he hasn't really gotten his groove back with the team at all since that moment. And, uh, yeah, he's gone. Although I don't think he, unlike Jim Benning, I don't think Vigneault will be out of a job for that long. I think he has enough of a track record that someone's going to, gonna try to bring him in yeah i mean all that studying uh apparently didn't help him much in uh philly because yeah as you said last year the, a lot of it was you know carter hart sucked last year this year he's pretty good 
and yet he still can't get anything out of this roster, which is, as you said, pretty meh, but it should not be this bad. I mean, at one point, what, they lost like 10 in a row, right? Like, it's not 10 in a row bad, um, and something's wrong, right? And, you know, yeah, Vigneault clearly uh, kind of showed his ass just there uh, because, if the, you know, the coach can't get this much out of his team, if he fails to do so, you get him out of here. Now, uh, his replacement is Mike Yo, uh, who uh, doesn't have the greatest track record. It's always always a wonder like how do these people like michelle terry too like he was the other assistant that was fired right so like how do these people get back on the bench even as assistants it kind of baffles me and then now he's kind of like you know seniority he does mike yo that is and has kind of seniority his way into an interim coaching position now uh you know mike yo has a noted track record of failure so i don't see anything on the up and up for the flyers um and yeah the flyers need to you know the, the worst part of the worst place to be in sports is obviously the mediocrity zone. Uh, and they have been, as you've said, for, for years now, completely unable to uh, kind of move into high gear or to rebuild. Uh, and so it's time to rebuild because you're not going into high gear with this team. I'll tell you that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's time to sell off pieces at the deadline, whatever that is. Uh, and you just take it from there. You, you go in for maybe a, hopefully a short rebuild because the roster is it's not terrible i mean i i'm a big fan of couturier uh and maybe change the gm a gm who goes out and acquires rasmus ristolainen for that first round pick that's your red flag right there that's that's the deal breaker you're done with the guy um but they need to tear it down the roster is not good enough to contend anytime soon you know i honestly i constantly forget how much the flyers gave up for ristolainen i think that might be Man, it's tough with the Seth Jones one, but the Ristolainen might be like the worst trade of the year, just in terms of how just downright stupid you have to be. Because at least if you want to pretend to make the argument that Seth Jones is a great defenseman or whatever, and then you can rationalize it from the, that perspective, like, oh yeah, we think we're getting a number one star defenseman, which is not the case. But with Ristolainen, uh, first of all, he's even worse than Seth Jones. And second, he only has one year left on his deal. And it's like, what, we're going to have this like guy who we intend on playing on the second pair anyway. Uh, we're going to give up all these great futures for him. And he might not even want to stick around. It makes absolutely no sense. But anyway, you mentioned Mike Yeo and how he has the track record of failure. Um, and it got me to thinking, wow, he sure does, doesn't he? Uh, so here, let's go through his uh, head coaching record. He was His first head coaching job in the NHL, Minnesota Wild, started in the 2011-12 season. They had a very bad roster. They missed the playoffs. Then they uh, acquire Zach Breeze and Ryan Suter that summer. And all of a sudden, expectations are are sky high. Uh, they make it into the playoffs as the eighth seed and lose in the first round. Uh, the next year, they make it in a wild card spot and they lose in the second round. The year after that, they make it in uh, a divisional spot, I think. And they lose in the second round again. Uh, and the year after that, he looks like he got fired partway through, uh, like 55 games in when they were on track for, wait, what? No, did they end up making the playoffs? I don't remember. Anyway, he got fired halfway through that year. The next year, uh, he comes on as a blues associate coach, then becomes the head coach, um, lost in round two that year. Then in 2018, missed the playoffs and in 2018, 19, of course, uh, they were seven and nine, or seven nine and three actually at the time of his firing. Then of course immediately they became the greatest hockey team in the world. So this guy's uh, NHL coaching track track record, there's absolutely nothing here. 
that would give you any indication of the fact that he's good at this uh, and that he has earned any other head coaching job. He had four years with a Minnesota Wild team with decent amount of expectation, could never make it past round two. And then he went to a Blues team that was even better on paper, uh, never made it past round two, and then actually missed the playoffs, and the team started to get worse and worse under his guidance. So I know he does just have the interim tag in Philadelphia, but it seems like it's the type of interim where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we kind of hope it works out with you, and we can, you know, stick with you for a while. Mr. has experience. Right, and even without even without that in mind, even if they thought, you know, we're going to get rid of this guy at the end of the season, it's a waste of an interim coach. I mean, get someone young in there that has maybe some sort of hope of, you know, writing the ship. Maybe you'll find a, you know, a hidden gem or something. Uh, I'll tell you what, Mike Yo is not a hidden gem. He ain't he ain't gem of anything. Um, so you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. I like you're yet again setting yourself up for failure. Like why? Why are you just? Yeah, sure. It's one thing to throw in the towel on a season. It's another to actively suck uh, and have actively incompetent personnel. I mean, sure, fine. I talked earlier about what's the point of having these guys on as assistant coaches. Fine, have them on as assistant coaches, but don't promote them to interim head coach when the head when the head guy gets fired because uh, they've shown that they just can't do it. And so, you know, try out a new guy. Try out, a, you know, try out new people for crying out loud. Why is that so hard for you know for these teams to figure it out? And uh, I mean, yeah, you're not gonna you're not disco- you're not gonna discover you know the Americas with Mike Yo uh, behind the bench. I'll tell you that. And so, yeah, and back to the wrist line trade. Now you got me thinking too. It's it's just incredibly stupid. Like, yeah, I didn't even realize this guy had only one year left on his contract. He's literally going to leverage them. He's going to leverage the fact that he got traded for a first and a second round pick into a big contract, presumably a long one with the Flyers, um, which would be a nightmare. And it's like, yeah, Seth Jones, that's the thing. If, you, if you're a big Seth Jones stan, it's, you're one of many. And like that kind of makes it forgivable. Well, not really, but you know. It's it's more forgivable it than, than Rasmus Ristolainen, who everybody kind. Of, I don't know any Rasmus Ristolainen defenders. I have not seen any. All right, I haven't heard it's of them. Sorry, all right, it's a defender. Yeah, exactly. He's not. He's not a defender. He's putting it nicely too. Um, barely, and like he stinks. He stinks. Everybody knows he sucks, and he goes out there and spends a first round pick, a top fifteen first round pick, and a second round. It's so baffling. I don't like. What are you smoking? Well, how did you even get that idea in your mind, man? Like, Buffalo probably couldn't have gotten rid of him fast enough. Um, that's such a stupid trade. For one year of Rasmus Ristolainen with a team that was already bare-bones mediocre. All right? Like, what are you doing? You're not going to get down with this guy in your roster. He's gonna Is he a part of your future? He sucks. Why would you make him a part of your future? Nobody thinks he's a part of their future. Nobody thinks he's good. Anyways. Uh, which which playoff team is going to acquire Ristolainen as a rental this year when the Flyers start shopping closer to the deadline? Who's it going to be? It's going to be Jim Rutherford, man. They're going to continue this little this little streak. They'll be like, oh, all right, let's course. go all in for the playoffs. Let's go in for the home stretch. We're going to try to get that second wildcard spot. Let's go. <laughs> what if it's the Jets? Jets are like, we oh, need God. another defenseman. That's being Rasmus <laughs> Ristolainen into the fold. That's my that's my new hunt. Oh, the Oilers. That's it. That's perfect. That's so perfect. Ken Holland's gonna say we need to another defenseman on our team, uh, and and is gonna make it Rasmus Ristolainen. There, yeah, that's my new prediction. Thank you. All right, we'll we'll see where it goes. I certainly hope so. I multiple treat multiple teams trading for Rasmus Ristolainen uh, makes for good popcorn because every single one of them that trades for him is by default the loser. Um, you can't win mm. with this guy. He's terrible. He's, he's just not good. 
the big liability on the ice and contractually too. There is one NHL team that is extremely uh, relatable, I would say, to many fans, and that just like so much of the working class struggles to pay rent, that would be the Arizona Coyotes, who are at Speaking risk of liabilities of, of getting locked out of their arena due to having forgotten to pay rent to play there. It's not going to happen. I think they're going to, you know, they're going to scrounge up their money or whatever. Or if worse comes to worst, uh, the league will probably bail them out in some capacity. Uh, but yeah, the Coyotes basically, you know, business as usual there. Oh yeah, we owe you like a couple million dollars on July 1st. What if we just, you know, don't give it to you and then maybe do it some other time in the in the vague future? Uh, but although that might have worked for Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Steenbergen, apparently it doesn't work with the government. Uh, so the Coyotes are like, all right, all right, fine, fine. We'll pay to play here. Uh, and keep in mind, this is the same arena slash city who's like, yeah, after this year, we're, you're not coming back here. Like, we're not negotiating with you. You're going to have to find somewhere else to play. Maybe in another city, maybe in another state. Yeah, now this is this just... It's so stupid. How are the people leading the, the Coyotes so damn dumb? I mean, we saw that article. Uh, it was Katie Strang from The Athletic, right, that, that did a deep dive on the dysfunction on the Coyotes. It's clear that it's still there. It's the same people. I mean, it wouldn't fix itself. Uh, but, you know, what do they call it? Human error that you forgot to pay two million bucks in taxes? Yeah, give me a fucking yeah, break. Yeah, it's a human um, error, so <laughs> don't make that error. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, but it's clearly an intentional human error. It wasn't. It didn't just slip everybody's mind. Um, yeah, I mean, like, look, it's uh, good good for the city of Glendale because they they got They got to get their money now before they, you know, the Coyotes fuck off to like Tempe or whatever they're they're trying to go to, and then they really have no leverage. Um, but uh, you know, it's clear that Arizona they don't have their finances any sort of order. They have no sort of future plan either. Like, where are they playing next year? I don't know. They find they'll probably just play in some random arena in Arizona. I guess that's the plan. Uh, not great for you know keeping the fans. I gotta say you know selling tickets. You know I don't even like <laughs> if you're trying if you're trying to go to Coyotes game next year. You don't even know what fucking city it's in, um, which is you know exceedingly <laughs> stupid. Um, not to speak of you know yeah that article just kind of I read it again because um, why not? I want to refresh myself. It's just exceedingly stupid. You know like trying to rip off the vendors that work for you and shit like that. You know and obviously not paying the contracts not paying the players. It's just, man, it's like did you, these people didn't take like business class 101 apparently. They didn't even take common sense 101. Um, yeah, they're, just, they're incompetent. They can't, they're just incompetent head to toe, you know? And, and there's lots of incompetent people out there, but these ones just happen to be the head of an NHL franchise. Uh, and yeah, you see it day in, day out, right? It's just a bunch of clowns. It's a clown organization <laughs> and that, uh, you know, can't, can't find the money to pay for shit that they're doing. You know, it's like, you got to pay for the stuff, man. You got to pay for it. That's how the world works. Mm -hmm. I'm currently on a website called az-hockey.com uh, looking at a list of Arizona ice hockey rinks trying to get a sense of where this NHL team may play next year. Uh, this is a website that is riddled with random logos and ads and extremely poorly put together. On top, we have Ice Den Chandler. 7225 West Harrison Street, uh, Chandler, Arizona, official training center for the NHL's Arizona Coyotes. 
Uh, I don't see anything about um, like capacity or anything like that. Coyotes Ice Den is home to the following ice hockey clubs. Chandler Amateur Hockey Association Junior Coyotes. We also have um, the Arcadia Ice Arena at 3853 East Thomas Road in Phoenix, Arizona. Arcadia Ice Arena is conveniently located in central Phoenix. Arcadia Ice Arena is home to the following ice hockey clubs. Vosha Phoenix Mustangs. Once again, nothing about capacity. But if the Coyotes are interested, maybe head over to this website. A lot of decent options where that currently hosts like triple a teams or junior b teams there are one two three four five uh six seven eight different arenas listed on this page so a variety of selection <laughs> there you go you've done you've done all the work for them you know doing a little zillowing of the arizona arenas apparently uh but uh yeah i mean oh my god that's oh, it's i just noticed like the, on top of the yeah. page it says below is a list of Arizona ice hockey rinks, updated May sixteenth, two thousand fifteen. Okay, so who knows? Maybe some of them have closed. Maybe new ones have opened. Uh, but none of them, I don't think, we've heard any sort of viable candidates for Arizona. You know, arenas that can support an NHL team. Um, now, granted, this is barely an NHL team at this point, uh, but still, they're they're supposed to run like one. Um, so, so yeah, that's. That's Arizona. I mean, there's just like, what are they going to try to build a new stadium? That's going to take a bunch of years. We're going to play in the interim. Uh, and they just seem like they, they're the type of people who burn all the bridges that they build. All of them, you know, whether it's with the vendors, the players, the, you know, the the, the cities for crying out loud. Uh, it's just you leave a path of destruction. How can you be so surprised when nobody offers you any sort of hospitality? Uh, it's just, a, you know, clearly a bunch of assholes just kind of running the operation. And they don't really know what they're doing. And this is how you get, you know, dysfunction after dysfunction with this franchise. It's no surprise. It's all related. Yeah, uh, this is definitely not great for the game. Speaking of things that are not great for the game, Sonny Milano scored the most beautiful goal I've ever seen. It's, <laughs> it's bad. It's terrible. How could they? Okay. All right. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. Uh, Trevor Zegris had the puck behind the net and flipped it over top of the net. And Sonny Milano batted it out of the air. It was extremely creative and innovative, and I'm sure it's something that we are going to start to see becoming more and more popular because it worked at the NHL level. Uh, John Tortorella, though, says it's bad for the game, and he said if if one of his players did something like that, he'd be having a talk with him. He'd be in trouble for scoring a nice goal, and I think what the logic was, although I didn't listen to the clip, was that your opponent gets like gets angry when you do something like that and you don't want your opponents to get angry because then they'll play better or something so never be do creative things uh that's what john jordorella said uh everyone dunked on him piled on him trevor zegris of course or sonny milano should have tweeted who the fuck is john tortorella and then turned their phone off um <laughs> but i think what what was so great about this goal when things like this happen because like this happened with uh, the lacrosse goal at first, you know, it got super popular. This type of thing is the exact same effect. On Hockey Night Canada, they showed a highlight pack of, like, a bunch of kids at practice trying out the move. Um, and not just little kids, like, people in beer leagues, like, oh, let's give it a shot. Even um, uh, in warm-up, Alex Klorn and Boris Kachuk tried it out on uh, Vasilevsky. And were like, yeah, we did it or whatever. And apparently I saw a tweet from, I think, Arpan Basu that in practice today, um, Jake Evans tried flipping it over to Jonathan Drouin, uh, and they failed. It, it didn't go well. Uh, but they're trying it. You know, 
nice try, Jake Evans and Jonathan Drouin. Not quite as good as Zegers and Milano, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's super exciting. Trevor Zegers is uh, one of many, you know, in this new generation of ultra creative offensive young stars. And if I may brag for a second, I actually had him ranked uh, number three in his draft year and ended up falling all the way to number nine. And I said, the Ducks got a steal. And to be fair, I wasn't the only one who said that. Uh, but I thought it too. So there. There we go. You were, you were in on him. Um, but yeah, what a, just just an electric goal. And shit like that, you know, that that's great for the game in the sense that it gets you a ton of exposure. I mean, like, you see people left and right on, like, Twitter and everything that, like, you know, post a video. I saw, like, I think it was, you know, John Boy Media. It was a guy from baseball, right, doing a breakdown of it. Um, you get new fans. You get new fans when you do stuff like that. Exciting stuff that, you know, is highlight worthy. Um, you know, that's what draws the fans in. I mean, it's 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 you know that drives the social media engagement i mean look at for example another fourth uh, a sport that's been really kind of exploded this year you're talking about formula one they've done a really good job of you know marketing their players uh or marketing their drivers or whatever it is uh and you know this stuff for the nhl is like the you know the prime you know asset that you have in terms of marketing right it's it's the cool factor uh when you have like a, a bonkers play like this right? Everybody can appreciate. You don't need to know hockey to appreciate, you know, what a cool goal that was. And yeah. And in that sense, the Tortorella take makes no sense because he's just actively, you know, hindering the development of the sport, but also it's just so stupid. He, he, how, why would you have a talk with the guy? He did literally what you're supposed to do. The goal of, you know, playing hockey is to score goals. And he did exactly that. All right. And how, how could you reprimand him for that in any sort of way? Um, not only because it's so cool, but also he literally accomplished the thing that you're supposed to do when you're playing hockey. Um, it just makes no sense. And yeah, it just goes to show this guy should not be, should not get a head coaching gig anytime soon because he's a, he's an active detriment to the sport, to the players that the teams that he coaches, to the players that he coaches. Um, I mean, you talk about his relationship with super part, superstar players in his past. Uh, and yeah, he's boring. He stinks. Get him out of here. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to see him behind a bench. Obviously some team will find the, will find an interest at one point when they fire their own coach, but uh, they shouldn't is what I'll say because uh, yeah, he doesn't, he's not a good coach a, but B, you know, he's just not the right guy to have behind the bench. Clearly his personality is just not a good fit for uh, the modern game. I think at some point, if I'm remembering correctly, that Zegris to Milano goal had like 22 million views on TikTok or something, which is, you know, incredibly high for anything related to ice hockey. And I get the sense that people like Don Tortorella will see that. And they'll like get mad. They're like, "Oh no, the public is getting the wrong idea that our sport is fun. They need to know that it's very honorable and serious." And it's it's I I want to say gatekeeping, but in a sense, it's worse than gatekeeping because you know it's one thing to gatekeep something fun that you like that you want to keep to your small community who likes it too or something, and it's another thing to be like, "Oh no, we can't have all these fun havers. We don't want to take hockey seriously." getting involved in it and ruining our game. Everyone knows Tortorella always calls it our game. I think he even said they're out Milano too and Zegris. It was like, oh, this thing is ruining our game as if like Sonny Milano and Trevor Zegris with their like creative uh, young minds or whatever. They don't have to be young, especially even though they, even though they are anyway, they're like, oh, this creativity is ruining our game. And these intruders who want to innovate are destroying me and all my friends and our sport. Hello? Hello? Oh, okay. All right. We're good. I, yeah, wait, did you hear the whole thing I said? I stopped at yeah, our sport. 
Oh, okay. All right. It was just very sudden. Uh, anyways. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all good. Just cut this part out after. Um, yeah, leave it in. Yeah, no. All right. Sure. Sure thing. Hello, everybody. Uh, anyways. So, yeah. Uh, it's just... <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, he's he's actively making it worse. I don't even like what's the what does he want for this game? Like, what is he trying to get from the sport of hockey? Like, what 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 satisfaction does he get from all this seriousness? Um, does he look back at the '90s and the dead puck era and he thinks, you know, is he is he happy when he watches that style of game? Like, I'm so confused. Like, what do you what are you here for? Like, if you're not here to have fun, and like, is that not the point of sports? You know, to see cool athletic abilities and whatnot. Um, if you're to, if you're just here to watch the dump and chase, um, and, and that's what you want to advocate for in the sport, I like I gotta wonder what the hell you're thinking, um, and, and why you're here at all. It's just like, how are you advocating for something so inherently less interesting and fun, which is the point of sports? And if even because, if you're here to make money in sports, because because it's 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 like a game of chess. It's for intellectuals, and if we make it too fun, then all the non-intellectuals are going to start to infiltrate, and we need to oh, yes. make it so that only the smartest people could possibly understand the intricacies of skate and shoot and score. Yeah, only only the brightest could uh could ever even begin to conceptualize the idea of you know, ooga booga dump and chase bash your head in um you know like it's it's so stupid country <laughs> punch yeah exactly I mean like oh god I mean it's just I I don't get it I really don't and yeah as I was saying from a money perspective it doesn't even make sense because the league makes more money when there are more fans right more fans you're gonna get more fans you're gonna grow the game that's crazy what a concept. Um, I don't think John Tortorella's ever thought of that. All right, my last thing on Zegers I want to say is that I still am just yep. so shocked that the Oilers took Philip Broberg instead of him. But anyway, <laughs> um, this is shaping up to be a long episode because there's something else I really want to get to, which is Team Canada's final World Junior roster is out. As we yelled about last week, Brant Clark is not on there, and in fact, there are no right shot defensemen on the entire team. Uh, we knew that they only had two in camp, Jack Thompson and Vincent Iorio. For that reason, I thought at least one of them would be on the team. Despite the fact that the eight defensemen they actually picked, I would say are all better than Thompson and Iorio. It's just odd that, you know, Brent Clark was there and instead you have eight lefties. Uh, and the most interesting cut, besides Brent Clark, who wasn't invited, uh, was Hendrix Lapierre, who has played in the NHL and scored this year and didn't look too out of place. Uh, they decided to leave him off the team in favor of the likes of Will Cooley and Elliot Dane-YA. Uh, but ignoring all that, ignoring the strange cuts, and just looking at Team Canada's roster, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, not as good as last year's, which you know was being talked about as, oh, is this like the greatest team in World Junior history? And then they won the silver medal instead of the gold, and that talk disappeared for obvious reasons. Um, but this is uh, a good team, because Canada always you know is amongst the favorites. Uh, Mason McTavish is there. Kent Johnson... Cole Perfetti was released by the the Winnipeg Ice um, or Manitoba Moose. One of them is the AHL team. One of them is the junior team. I got them mixed up. The AHL team. Uh, Dylan Gunther is there. So a lot of high draft picks. Uh, Owen Power. Caden Gooley is probably going to be captain is the word on the street. But the most interesting player that everyone's talking about is, I think, the third 16-year-old ever to make Team Can at the World Juniors. Uh, Connor Bedard will be there. Um, he played in those two tune-up games so what happened basically is they had their selection camp 
with like 33 or so players. Um, a bunch of them, I think, didn't play or didn't play much in the two tune-up games against like universities. Uh, and it was mostly, it was pretty much the locks who didn't play. Like McTavish, Kent Johnson, Owen Power, Caden Gooley, Shane Wright, a uh, couple others didn't play. And everyone else was like, all right, we're looking at you. Show us what you got. Uh, Connor Bedard scored six points in two games. No one else had more than two. And after, he had four points the first game, two points the second game. And after the game, the coach of Canada, who I don't remember who it is, uh, said, yeah, he wasn't quite as offensively dynamic in this game, but he, he was still quite strong overall. This, he had two points that game. And he was like, yeah, not quite as dynamic as when he had four, which is technically true, but like totally unnecessary to say. And that led to speculation, like, are they really going to cut Connor Bedard, who just had six points in two games in your tune-up, uh, four more than your next leading score? Thankfully, they, they didn't. It's very exciting. This guy, you know what? He was born in 2005. That's insane. July 2005. <laughs> and he's on the World Jesus. Junior team. What I remember about Connor Bedard, the first I ever heard of him, I think he was like 12 years old. And there was an article about him in the hockey news. Like, this, he's going to be a phenom. Uh, and you know what? They look absolutely correct. People are uh, comparing him to McDavid. And he had a quote that was like, oh, you know, uh, McDavid is uh, two points per game in the show. And I'm just, you know, still young. Something like that to the effect of like, oh yeah, I'm not going to pretend that we're the same, but like, maybe I could be. Yeah, he's leaving the door open. Maybe he'll get three points in the show. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, that's he, he kind of forced their hand there, right? You know, like this, we've seen uh, the uh, selection committee kind of be hesitant. They're, they're obviously very uh, rare, these 16-year-olds, and they're hesitant to kind of give them the roster spots, but they kind of, he kind of forced a hand, right? They're just, uh, you know, score six points in two games. How are you going to keep this guy off the team? Uh, when he's playing with his potential teammates, uh, other other guys from the selection camp, so uh, that's that's very cool. Uh, you gotta wonder with Hendrix Lapierre, another like pretty undersized skill guy, whether uh, you know they're like we can only have so many of those, we can only have so much talent, we gotta have identity, uh, we gotta have we gotta have size, and so you gotta wonder if that's why he was cut because otherwise, you know, this guy's already playing in the NHL, so uh, you gotta think he's good enough to make it to the uh, you know the World Junior team. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and then, yeah, back to that defense, uh, it's just, it's still so mind boggling as to how you could possibly cut Brent Clark. Um, yeah. And, and just having those six left shot defensemen, which, uh, on its own sounds pretty silly. Now I'm not one to care too much about, you know, side or handedness balance, but, uh, you know, six seems a bit extreme, especially when you had like a stud already ready to go on the right side. Um, it would have been at least better a five to one balance. Um, but you know, what's done is done. Uh, you know, the, the selection committee always has a bit of some head scratches because, uh, they're old hockey men. So what are you going to do? So, but, uh, yeah, this team should, uh, yeah. On the topic of those head scratchers, I don't think it's just the old hockey man factor. Uh, acting the Fulhamman said something interesting the other day. It was in reference to the Olympics, but I think it still applies to the World Juniors. When, you know, there were those think pieces about like, oh, Tom Wilson should make Team Canada over Mitch Marner, or Dougie Hamilton shouldn't make Team Canada or whatever. Uh, and what he said was GMs of Team Canada in any tournament, but especially best on best like the Olympics, probably feel the need to make at least one or two like terrible decisions in order to justify their own existence. Because if they don't, if they, you know, pick the popular team that everyone's like, yeah, you pretty much made all the right picks. Then they're basically admitting 
that uh they that literally anyone above the age of five could have just like sorted by points and picked a great team and that they don't have some sort of like you know ulterior super mastermind of like oh yeah the common folk couldn't have known to cut mitch marner but me who can foresee the true patterns of ice hockey can do it and i imagine that the same type of thing is going on with the cuts of brant clark and hendrix lapierre that are like oh yeah we have to use our super hockey mega galaxy brain of mind in order to to have the ideal balance of of personality or whatever. Yeah, funny you say balance because they couldn't figure it out on the handedness. Um, but uh, yeah. Y- yeah, no, it's but still that seems like a very old hockey man thing to think. No, like uh, I have to justify my uh, existence or need for this for my position by making some stupid moronic move that uh, I'll justify somehow by citing identity or whatever. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe someone, uh, you know, with who is more analytically minded, who is more modern would think, I don't give a fuck what people think. Uh, if the job is easy, I'll keep it easy. I'll just do the obvious shit and take it from there. Um, it seems, you know, that kind of stuff seems pretty obvious if I was in that position. You know, you put me at the head of Team Canada. I am just going to take the most skilled guys out there. I don't care about Tom Wilson. He can stay back home in, you know, in Washington. And uh, I don't know. It just seems so. It's it seems very outdated to even have that kind of thought process where you're like, I have to justify being in this position, or else, you know, my entire existence is a failure. Yep. Uh, yeah. So as the world next week, we are probably going to do maybe more in depth World Junior preview. Um, but for now, before we get into this week's guess who, I have one more surprise thing that I wanted to mention to you. Uh, and it is something that I learned about yesterday. I learned about the existence of a 2010 Canadian musical film written and directed by Michael McGowan, starring Noah Reed, Ali McDonald, and Olivia Newton-John called Score, a hockey musical. Would you like me to read you the synopsis? Please. This is on Wikipedia, so it's not very, it's not very extensive. 17-year-old Farley Gordon has led a sheltered life, homeschooled and isolated by his parents. His closest friend is Eve, their next-door neighbor. When his skill at hockey is realized, Farley is signed to a major hockey league and achieves instant fame and success. But pressure from his coach and teammates and a changing relationship with Eve begin to create intense strain in Farley's life. Do you have any initial thoughts? This is this is a musical. This is a musical. There's a list of song titles. Would you like me to read them as okay. well? Yeah, please. I've actually not looked at them. There are there are 21, 21 songs in this movie. Oh, God. All right. The first of all, we have uh, "Oh Hockey Canada," um, and then in brackets, "Oh Canada." Next, Daryl versus the Kid, Best Friends, Frozen Toe, Hugs, Give It a Shot. Buck 55, Craft Dinner, Baboons, Donkers Dilemma, Boyfriends, Pacifism Defense, Ordinary Boy, Boy in the Bubble, Dead and Done, Toe to Toe, Legends, Eve's a Goddess, Hockey the Greatest Game in the Land movie version, Time Stand Still, and then Hockey the Greatest Game in the Land radio edit. 
<laughs> I like they had a little stretch in there where they had like some alliteration going and they just kind of kind of left it. Um, so that that's fun. Uh, yeah, my initial thoughts. This seems like uh, a very even this even the title um, just goes to kind of point to the fact that this seems like a very bland. It seems like a hockey musical. This is like, man, if hockey was a musical, it would be this musical. And it's fitting that it's about hockey. Um, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I think. All right. It has <laughs> got to decipher that. I feel like the, the thing with the musical art form is that I feel like the story has to be enhanced by the fact that there's music in it. This just feels like, oh, let's make a story about hockey and force it to be a musical by writing songs to go along with it. And I haven't watched the movie, so I don't know for sure. It has a 4.5 on 10 score on IMDb. So it doesn't, it's probably not very good and it's definitely not very popular. Um, and I went on soaptoday.to to see if it was there. Sadly, it isn't. But I am determined at some point to find a way to watch this movie because I am extremely fascinated uh, by the concept. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the concept of making a musical about hockey based on nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, this just, the thing is, it seems like it's based on nothing. Where's the intrigue? I'm so confused. Like, where's the plot, man? Like, what's going to keep me watching? Like, what, a pressure from his coach? That's crazy, man. I, let me make a movie about that. Like, wh- what? What? When is this, since when is this musical movie, uh, caliber story plot line? Like, who wrote this? That's what I got to wonder. I, I, who wrote it is um, Michael McGowan. Let's see what else Michael McGowan has done. Uh, is a Canadian filmmaker who wrote and directed the feature films St. Ralph, One Week, Still Mine, and Score, a hockey musical. All right. You know, you know this guy's pretty small when Score, a hockey musical is like on the second line of his Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, that, that's cool, Michael. Good shit. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I find I think we've talked about on here before how sports movies in general are not a very good movie genre because it's like, okay, you're playing sports, you're gonna overcome something and you're gonna win the championship. Um and honestly, that's why high school musical is so great because it has like sports movie aspect is only a small part of the movie because there are like three separate plots that could all be their own shitty movie are combined together to make, you know, a big movie about a bunch of different things. But anyway, let's move on now. Right. Yeah, I agree. Sports movies stink. Okay. Yeah, sports movies stink. Let's move on now to Guess Who. Uh, due to the Trevor Zegras, Sonny Milano situation, we decided to select the Anaheim Ducks for this week. 25 players as per usual. John Gibson, Anthony Stolarz, Lucas Dostal, Hampus Lindholm, Camp Fowler, Jamie Drysdale, Josh Manson, Kevin Shankirk, Simon Benoit, Josh Mahura, Jakob Larson, Ryan Getzlaff, Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras, Ricardo Raquel, Jakob Silverberg, Adam Henrique, Maxime Contois, Sonny Milano, Sam Steele, Isaac Lundestrom, Derek Grant, Nicholas Deloria, Sam Carrick, and Max Jones are, are our 25. Uh, you may recall the last time we played, I broke my losing streak by sweeping the Colorado... No, I didn't sweep. Um, but I won the Colorado Avalanche match, uh, breaking a very long drought. Uh, I now sit at, I believe, five wins. Kaisei sits at nine, and we have five ties. I aim to continue my ascent this week, but as we all know, uh, it will be fruitless, and Taisei is going to win once again. You can't set me up for disappointment like that. That's that's pretty rude. Um, 
But yeah, I uh, I'll try. I'm on a losing streak. When was the last time that happened? It's been a while. You're not on a losing you can call streak. This a you just losing lost streak. one game. That's still a streak. It's a streak of one. I feel like we've had that's this debate before. A streak is. I literally I've <laughs> never won more than one game in a row. Looking back. <laughs> That's tough. So, so you know, given the standards of uh, how this how this series has gone, I'd say I'm on a losing streak now. This is a cool okay. Me losing anyway, one is you a cool your player selected. All right, of course I do. All right, all right. I'm gonna mute my incoming audio in three, two, one. Troy Terry. And I'm back. All right, I'll be muting in uh, three, two, one. My player is Jakob Silverberg. All right, I am uh, coming back. I have returned. Uh, I believe I get home ice advantage this time, having actually lost something. So uh, Yes, which means that begin. I have the first guess. I'm going Please, to begin us. with my very favorite category. Was your player nah. a first-round pick? My player was not a first-round pick. Very nice and interesting. Cool. All right. Um, is your player's number uh, 34 or less? Yes, my player's number is 34 or less. Okay. Sounds good. Was your player drafted by the Anaheim Ducks? My player was drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. Very nice. I am down to six players. That was that was a rapid, rapid uh, sort. All right. Um, okay. Let's go with, is your player Canadian? No, my player is not Canadian. Uh-oh, this is not good. I'm down to seven. I'm hey, down, I've, got, I've, I've got a slight edge. This is unfortunate. <laughs> is, um, all right, let me... Be extremely careful about this. Does your player's first name start with a J? <laughs> My player's name does not start with a J. All right, not too bad. I'm down to three. I got my final three. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Was your player drafted by the uh, Anaheim Ducks? No, my player was not drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. All right. I'm also down to three. All right. Let's go. So fascinating. All right. We're in the nitty. This is where I tend to do terribly. Let's see if I'm out of my okay. funk. I've got goalie Lucas Dostal. I've got Troy Terry, who's having an incredible season and is therefore notable. And I have Maxime Contois, who feels like the natural one to guess. Is your player Maxime Contois? No, my player is not Maxime Contois. Oh, All no. Right. I can't okay. believe it. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can leverage this uh, advantage to my uh, favor. We have Sonny Milano. He of uh, goal fame recently. You have Kevin Shattenkirk and you have Jacob Silverberg. I think the logical guess is, is your player, uh, noted Swede, Jacob Silverberg? Yes, my player is Jacob <laughs> Silverberg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. All right. Very nice. Is there a player nice. Troy Terry? My player is Troy Terry. Oh, uh, awesome. I'm so glad yeah, about yeah, that. Nothing. 
not after an optimal start. So that's all right. Well, Tyson won the first round. I wonder if things will change moving forward. <laughs> Someone's a skeptic. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Round two. Okay. I'm muting my incoming audio in three, two, one. Ryan gets laugh. And I'm back. All right. I am muting in three, two, one. My player is Adam Henrique. I'm boned. All right. I am uh, returning now. Okay. Guess it's my turn to start. Go with the uh, last name sort. Okay. Um, is your player's last name Larson or earlier in the alphabet? Yes, my player's last name is Larson or earlier in the alphabet. That's unfortunate. All right, go ahead. Is your player Canadian? My player is Canadian. I'm down to 11. Oh, he swung for the fences. All right. Okay. Hmm. How will I sort these fellas? All right, let me go. Let me go number again. That that worked out last time. All right. Um, is your player's number thirty-four or lower? Yes, my player's number is thirty-four or lower. Okay, unfortunate. Unfortunate. I'm still at seven. It's a seven to five deficit, or seven to eleven. All right, your turn. Is like your like player? Is your player? Hmm. Uh, is your player twenty three or younger? My player is not twenty three or younger. Uh, all right, I'm at six. Six. Okay, that was a favorable split. All right, let's try to get this down to three, shall we? All righty. Okay. Um. Hmm. Not too many logical splits between these. Okay. Yeah, I have a bunch of first round picks and a third round pick. So, is your player. Ah, oh, never mind. No, no, no. I'm not going to go with the first round pick. That'll leave me with a bad split. Uh, maybe I'll go first name. Okay. Let's do it. So, is your player's first name start with. A, uh, is it Jacob or earlier in the alphabet? Yes, my player's first name is Jacob or earlier in the alphabet. Okay. All right, I'm down to three. Does your player shoot right? My player does shoot right. Okay, I'm also down to three. Wow, look, we both have three players left. I can't see this going wrong for me at all. (laughs) Down to the final boss. All right, my players are Adam Henrique, Cam Fowler, and Jacob Larson. Wow, two forwards and a... One forward and two defensemen. I wonder where I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go with the third round pick. The only only non-Anaheim draft pick. Is your player Adam Henrique? Yes, my player is Adam Henrique. <laughs> Literally, you he kidding a... me? No. I, when I said I picked Adam Henrique, and then when you that's muted good. your incoming audio, I straight up said, I have Adam Henrique. I'm boned. Because that's so easily <laughs> guessable. Silverberg Henrique, these are the biggest layups you could possibly imagine. Anyway. <laughs> now I've got. Go ahead. 
I've got Sam Carrick, Josh Manson, and Ryan Getzlaff. I don't think I'm going to go with Getzlaff. He's too notable. And Sam Carrick is too much of a scrub. So I'm going to go with the only defenseman on this list. Is your player Josh Manson? My player is not Josh Manson. Wow. Um. I've been swept <laughs> again. Wow. A little glimmer of hope on the avalanche. It's all gone now. I'm back to my embarrassing way. The universe... No the universe to pay my bills. restored order. <laughs> no skittles to pay your bills, indeed. Um, Want to guess again? Sam Carrick? Nah, it ain't Sam Carrick. It's, it's Ryan, Ryan Getzlav. Oh, wow. The last <laughs> player I guessed. Oh, you really were boned from the beginning, weren't you? There was there was a zero percent chance you were going what to win. Are there? Um, if you had a list, honestly, <laughs> of all twenty five players, if you had to guess from that list, yeah. you probably would have gone with Silverberg first. And if that was wrong, Henrik probably would have been your second <laughs> choice. I think that's a bit extreme, but uh, you're not. You're not, you're not with. Some uh, someone with see. very similar vibes to those two players. I I promise. Maybe Derek Grant. Derek Grant's pretty, pretty nice. Uh, you're just making stuff up. Your first guess would never be Come Derek on. Grant. Sam Carrick. Are you kidding me? I, I Sam Carrick would have been. Uh, I was surprised you didn't go with Sam Carrick when you had three down. I was like, he's that a guy, nobody. He's a nobody. He's a, exactly. That's why you guess him. But you don't want to go philosophy. for the total nobodies. You want to go for the a kind of like casual fans might recognize your name type of players. I don't know. Maybe that's where we differ in in philosophy. Um, maybe that's where you've been going wrong. Your players are just too notable, and uh, as we know, the the randomizer app that we use definitely favors the nobodies. Um, that's that's math. So, uh, so that was fun for me. Yeah, um, it sure was fun for you. for you, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was fast. I did I did not expect to go back to my winning ways that fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're back down to more, more losses than ties. Oh, wait, no, no, that's not true. Um, you, you were always at that. All right. Um, so yeah, that's uh, yes. <laughs> another win in the document, the docket for me. <laughs> you have now won half our games and I have won a quarter of our games. Oh, okay. All right. That's a, I'm five a significant five. achievement. We have, we have, uh, 12 teams left in the national hockey league that we haven't, done a guess who for i am going to have to dominate to have any hope of catching up to you uh from this point onward can i do it uh tune in to find out that the answer is no <laughs> are you a batman 500 by the way what is batman 500 i'm not a, i'm uh, not close even. to batman 500 i'm <laughs> 5 10 and 5 i'm five wins below batman 500 Oof, which actually, uh, for sake, since we actually have ties, Batman five hundred is just five hundred. Right, right. But we could theoretically attach a loser point. Uh, no, a uh, overtime, a tie point, if you wanted. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah but those like actual ties. Got... Yeah, actual yeah. ties. Are, you know, you actually have earned a point, so it makes sense if you have, you know. The same wow. amount of wins and losses with ties to call it five hundred. That's a good point. So uh you're 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 five wins off pace for uh five hundred. Uh-huh. Right. If I, I win the next I five guess who matches, then we'll be tied. Yeah. Seems wow. very plausible to huh. me. You never know. I mean I did it. So if I can do it, it leaves the door open for you, no? Did you ever actually win five in a row? No, you won 
You won know. four in a row. That was your longest streak. All right. So you know you could get you could catch up to nine and ten if you if you tried hard enough. You put in enough effort, and guess who? Uh, Maybe you could approach. If I stopped yeah. Where's your flipping pucks over the net, if I you know, if I I just don't want it enough, I'm sure that's what it is. You're the Trevor Zegris of guess who players. That's terrible. That's that's an insult. What an absolute scrub. You know what we could do? Uh, actually, I'm just ignore what I was about to say because it was super fucking stupid. But I'll say it anyway. It was. <laughs> It was, what if we took, like, the records of all the teams that I won at Guess Who and the records of all the teams you won as in Guess Who? Uh, I don't, I wouldn't be beating you, but I'm pretty sure it would be closer at least because my five wins are Colorado, Vegas, the Rangers, Dallas, and Minnesota, whereas yours are, you know, an array of other teams who aren't as close to the top of the league. Right. Okay. That's uh. You're right. You you're right to dismiss the idea is pretty uh, out there. Um. I gotta say, that that would <laughs> not only would that be strange and redundant, but it would be uh a quite waste the of waste time. of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's good that you put it out there though. You know? That would be the type uh, of thing that goes brown would be like. No, that's too stupid even for me to write an article about. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't clear that bar. All right, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's this week's guess who. That's this week's podcast episode. Unless you have any uh, other closing remarks. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. A fusion and hockey podcast. We'll be back next week on Sunday, probably. Uh, I don't see why not. For our last episode before a little holiday break, we're gonna take a week off after that and then return to the weekly episodes and. I just remembered we got to pick a team for this week. Right at, right, oh, right at the buzzer yet again. Right under the wire. It's too good. Uh, too good. Because what I usually um, do is I, I'll say next week will be, and I think like, is there anything we know we're going to talk about next week? And it's, oh yeah, a team. Let's pick one. Okay. Um, any any suggestions here? We're, we, we just did the Islanders. You know, you know what? We want to do the Ducks. I remember when we first came up with this idea, we were like, oh, we're not going to do the Ducks. They're too boring. But now they have Zegris, and they're not that boring. So, And they're the first in the Pacific. So and not by point percentage, but, Pacific. you know, by points. So that's... All right, sure. Uh, a All winning right, let's team just make this sure time they play. Uh, they play uh, not on Tuesday, it looks like. Uh, Wednesday they play and Friday. Wednesday and, okay, they play Saturday also. No, just Wednesday and Friday. Do we want to pick a team with three games then? Mm, all right, sure. Um, who else is? Who else is doing? How about the Wild? They're tearing it up. All right, sure. Let's look at their schedule. They've got. Uh, they play Tuesday. Okay, yeah, they've got. Carolina. They've got three games. They have the Perfect. the Hurricanes, the Sabers, and then they have the. Whoops, I just lost the page. Um, but they did. They do have a Saturday game against the Panthers. So that's exciting. nice. All right, so this week is Wild Week. It's going to be wild. Uh, we're going to talk about Kaprizov and company, the Band of Merry Men, John Merrill and Jordy Ben, uh, everyone's favorite defenseman. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Twitter, Taisefu and Alex's new handle. And, yeah, the end. Yeah.